Galaxy Lights, Coachella, Lightning Bolt Necklaces. 2023 was the year of Scandaval. On March 3rd, one cheating scandal launched a reality TV investigation that generated hundreds of conspiracy theories, thousands of podcast episodes, and millions of dollars in revenue. I'm Jody Walker, host of An American Scandaval. One retrospective story told in three salacious parts. Listen December 26th on the Ringer Reality Feed. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Hello and welcome to Group Chat. I am Justin Barrier and joining me, a couple of dogs, Rob Mahoney, Big Waz. Rob, welcome back from your trip to the forest. Is that where you were? Yeah, I was just communing with nature. Just really trying mm. to get in touch with the real world. You know, touching some mm. grass, touching some trees. Honestly, staying in a pretty bougie cabin, so I was doing none of those things. But it was, it was a nice little getaway. Does that qualify as glamping? No, I think it was a step above glamping. We, this is actually a point of discussion. Like, where is the line between glamp and cabin? Somebody got to get Ted Kaczynski on the phone to, <laughs> to, to be the decider on that one. He seemed to have been an expert on that joint. But you guys had restrooms and running water? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, it was, okay. a, it so was a glorified house then. just in the woods. Yeah, y'all wasn't camping. Y'all wasn't serious. No. Yeah, I think that's just being in a house, <laughs> you know? I think it's I'm like a arguing, step actually yeah. below a hotel. Just, You're in the Airbnb range. The level oh, of carcassity sure. so low on that one, just like, come on now, be serious. You got to sleep on the floor in the mud, Rob. Mm. You know, you got to right. use forage for, you know, certain type of uses. Like, come on, you got to light a fire to 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 make your food, like actually start the fire with wood and all of that, co make coals out of it. Come on now. Like, you got indoor plumbing. <laughs> you did not go camping. I'm sorry. You're saying I got to get my caucasity up. 
up. Oh, yeah. Always. <laughs> really? <laughs> Come on now. I would it's think, America. you know, what, what, what could have more caucasity than pretending you're in nature, but building mm. a house around it in which mm. you have all of, you know, all the comforts of home? You know what? You're right about that. That is coastal elite caucasity. That's a different category of it and which you know obviously the three of us are very familiar with <laughs> that's how we do it i was gonna ask like where is your level of of camping i guess caucasity wise like are you are you a camper i'm not doing it no just out. <laughs> <laughs> we just know about it it's it's not happening. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, you you talk to your homies about like, oh, what are you guys doing this weekend? Oh, we're gonna go camping. We're trying to get out the city for a few days and blah 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 blah. And it's just like, wait, so like your idea of relaxing is not a soft bed that's warm and you know the creature comforts that make us feel like good every single day. Your idea of relaxing is making yourself uncomfortable just for the fuck of it. Okay, <laughs> cook. You know, go ahead with that. I I'm chilling, though. We're launching the Kickstarter today. We got to get Waz on with, like, Bear grills on a <laughs> on a, some kind of extreme adventure out in the wilderness where they have a, a very charming heart-to-heart -heart in the middle of their hike or whatever. <laughs> I need to see Waz's soul exposed out in the world, out in the natural world. <laughs> I will say, every time they do the, the breakouts, you have this beautiful Christmas setting behind you with the tree, oh, yeah. and it's not just like bulbs and whatnot. There's like flowers and whatnot. So yeah, you yeah, are probably more business. in touch with nature than, than than either of us. Yeah, guys, I can't take credit for this wonderful tree that you can see back here. Uh, yes, it is natural. It's not one of those fake things that you buy and you stick into your closet every single year. But yeah, my lady got it. She decorated it. I don't think she's quite done with it yet because she seems to be constantly tinkering with it. But yeah, man, this, this is real stuff. We we do real things over here, man. It's reflecting off the mirror. It's just a beautiful setting. I just marvel I every time we do these you. podcasts. I'm yeah. trying my best here, guys. Uh, all right. So today's docket, we have a special mailbag that we thank you, all of you lovely listeners, for sending us uh, emails to a new email address that that Rob set up for us. Which, I, Rob, I got to ask just briefly. Yeah. Like, you're, you're welcome, we, by the way. Why did we switch emails? Well, our previous email address, which will not be mentioned on this podcast to avoid confusion, was linked to a bit and a, a sponsored segment that no longer exists. Ah, yes. You think we can't sell that again? I, maybe, maybe we can, but I just wanted to broaden out the scope of the emails we're able to receive. So all season long, please hit us up at ringergroupchat at gmail.com. Send in your questions, send in your comments, send in what you think of Waz's Christmas tree and where yes. you think the finishing touches could be rather than limit ourselves to one bit that, you know what, we, we're not beholden to anybody. We don't have to sell ourselves anymore, Justin. <laughs> we're here for us. Wow, that got increasingly passionate. I, I love that. <laughs> um, but I have to say, I was struck by how global the emails were. I, I noted that we have one from London, one from Saudi Arabia, Switzerland, Germany, Australia. Wow, this is an international operation for sure. Yeah, I mean, our game is global, and obviously it makes sense that one of the top five podcasts in NBA going today would also be a global podcast. I'm not surprised by any of this. That's right. We need to set up satellite podcasts in different areas to grow the podcast audience, Ooh, maybe yeah. get a group chat Africa going. You know, Let's just go. 
mold the youth in, into uh, shit talkers about the NBA. It's good stuff. Um, well, I want to start with this first email from Emma. This is this is topical because Emma seems to be a Grizzlies fan, even though she lives in London. Uh, her response is the Grizz used to be my league pass team, but I'd rather they not be now. So who should I start watching more on a regular basis? And I have to say, since we're coming off of recording this John Morant's debut game, I have yeah, to say maybe it's a bad time. That. Yeah, mm-hmm. a bad time to be leaving uh, the bandwagon there because I have to say, Rob, Ja was electric last night and just reminded everyone like how actually good he could be. Absolutely. I mean, he just gives them a totally different kind of explosive potential that they've obviously been missing because not only is your offense going to be better with a player like Ja, but you can actually make comebacks. You can actually go on runs. You can actually be not just competitive, (laughs) but aggressive and push other teams in these games. So, you know, spinning right through Herb Jones for a game winner. Like, that's the kind of shit only Ja can do on that team. So needless to say, they're happy to have him back. And he's going to change so much about what they do from Desmond Bain on down. Like, he, he just makes everybody's life so much easier there. And and I assume will make Emma's life much better in terms of actually watching this team on a daily basis. Now that Ben Simmons has retired, Zion Williamson has probably become the the, the poster boy, whipping boy of this show, or at least for me, but it's just crazy watching these two guys juxtapose against one another because, of course, Zion comes into the season having had his first ever alleged professional training regimen in the summer and seeing him look lethargic at times throughout the season. And John Morant, this is 25 freaking games. He comes back and he looks like he's He's barely breaking a sweat out there, making game winners, dropping 34, getting to the basket with reckless abandon, just completely unstoppable, looked as explosive as ever. And yeah, man, it brings you back to why everybody was so disappointed by his behavior because so many people, both fans and executives in the league offices and at Nike headquarters, quite frankly, had pegged this guy to be the next sort of, you know, standard bearer of the league. You know, he's going to grab the proverbial torch and, and run with it. And last night reminded you why everybody, you know, was so disappointed um, of the direction he was going because he means so much to the game and his game is so captivating. So, yeah, man, it was dope to see Ja do that last night. Yeah, I thought it was pretty instructive that after the game, after he won the game at the buzzer, uh, he was be- pretty much uh, being upfront that like he didn't want the final play, but he almost couldn't help himself but to fin- finish that game for the Grizzlies. It's the complete opposite of, of Zion, where it's like you have to just really rouse him in order to have that sort of effect. So great to have Ja back. I mean, we should probably ask, Rob, do you believe in the Grizzlies now? Did you see with Ja a path forward to at least be back into the play-in sort of mix? Well, they're closer than you think in terms of getting into the play-in group. I I think the question for them is going to be overcoming the Warriors who have shown, you know, some signs of life lately. It's not just a matter of games back, but competition. But it really does look like it's going to be about a 12-team race for the playoffs. I can't imagine the Jazz are, are really competitive there in the grand scheme of things. So, I think the answer is why not? You know, if some of these other teams who are in the play-in bracket or near enough right now get an injury at the wrong time, have their key players out for any significant stretch, like the Grizzlies had Job Morant out for a significant stretch, things can change pretty quickly. So I I wouldn't be shocked to see them climb into 10th place, climb into ninth. Like, I think they have that in them. We've seen when they have even a remotely healthy roster, 
they can be a regular season juggernaut. And the defense has been good enough all season to give them something to work with here, supposing that Ja can be this kind of daily force. I, you know, I'm, I'm with you, Waz. Really impressive debut to come back with that kind of energy, that kind of flow, that kind of feel that Ja did. But some of the rigors of the NBA season are what happens when it's stacking weeks on weeks on mm-hmm. weeks, when it's you know long, long road trips. It's, it may still take him some time to get his legs under him for that reason. And if Memphis can steal some of those games in the meantime, I think it's, they could end up with a pretty respectable win total, honestly. Yeah, so right now the play-in mix is the Pelicans, the Lakers, the Rockets, the Suns, the Warriors, and the Grizzlies, and also the Jazz, who are currently ahead of the Grizzlies outside of that mix. So one of those four teams, Pelicans, Lakers, Rockets, Suns, might not make it in there. Maybe even two of them if the Warriors ever get their shit together and Draymond Green comes back. Um, So it's going to be a pretty fun down-the-stretch race here. But I do want to kind of answer Emma's question if she does want to give up on the Grizz and gravitate toward another fan base. Um, So I kind of want to do like a a re-ranking of the best league pass teams here, at least the top upper crust there was what's at the top right now. What is it? A third of the way through the season of your league pass rankings. Is it, as I assume all of us, maybe the thunder. I mean, the thunder actually is funny, man. Uh, obviously I've been waving the Chet flag and Chet. We trust, you know, Chet again, look crazy against the nuggets. I mean, I don't know how you can, <laughs> I guess Shea Gilgis Alexander gave him a step stool for them nine blocks, according to Michael Pina, but that's neither here nor there. You wasn't here for that craziness, Rob. But <laughs> I got to tread on Chet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Michael Pena was, he was denigrating the exploits of Chet Holmgren saying, oh, he's the beneficiary of whatever, whatever. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, they go, they go low, I go high. So as as much as I love the th- the th- the thunder and they're very high on my league paths list, my number one is the Timberwolves. Um, just because for me personally, I just love the way that they get after it on defense. I love the cohesion of that unit um, across lineups. By the way, um, their big man rotation fascinates me endlessly. Obviously, because they're paying all three of these guys, but they're all freaking delivering this year. So it's nice to watch. And then, of course, obviously, man, Anthony Edwards and just what he's able to do on a night to night basis and how he can surprise and do these eye popping, jaw dropping plays night to night. Even when he's only going, you know, seven of 18, he's doing something subtle that I'm just like, wow. Or he's, you know, he's reading the defenses for passes and playmaking. And I'm like, oh, okay, he's stacking stuff on top of his already impressive offensive game. So night to night, once I see the Timberwolves are on, that's coming on. That's number one for me with a bullet, kind of. Yeah, they're kind of a perfect league pass team because you have a rock solid foundation with their defense, which Mm -hmm. having seen them in person recently is really something to behold. Like they are smothering and it's not just Rudy Gobert and Jane McDaniels like Nikhil Alexander Walker is having an amazing defensive season. Kyle Anderson is wreaking havoc out there. They're just enormous defensively and put a lot of pressure on you. So they have that going for them and that's going to keep them in pretty much every game. And then you have Edwards, as you're saying, was who's going to do something basically every night that's unbelievable, that catches you by surprise, that even when you're watching them time after time after time, he's going to deliver in fun and interesting ways. And I'm also kind of loving the season that Cat is ha- having, to be honest with you. He's really found like a nice little niche mm-hmm. in terms of attacking from the three-point line and also kind of attacking into the elbow area and finding some good kind of like longer post-ups from that range or little turnarounds from that range that have been working. I 
I, I think there's a lot to like with the Wolves. I guess the only question is, as far as adopting a new team, are they too good? Can mm. you adopt the number yeah. one team in the West standings? I just wish with Cat, whenever he is having complimentary quotes about Anthony Edwards, we just had a picture in picture where we could see his fingernails just like digging into his thigh or like him just like gritting his teeth in between it. Like he is saying all the right things. Anthony Edwards is the guy, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, deep down that shit burns. This no, is big time projection. This is anytime <laughs> anyone asks Justin about us, what happens? Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Here's, here's where I will come to Justin's defense because our guy, John Krasinski, wrote a great story, you know, centered around Cat and his relationship with AD. And how the tweet came out was essentially Carl Anthony Towns gets along way better with Ant Edwards than he did Jimmy Butler. And I'm like, that's damning with fade praise <laughs> if I've ever seen it, dude. <laughs> yeah, but Cat is playing the good soldier so far. It is working. But I think that's yeah. a good question to ask. Are the, are the Wolves too good to be qualified as a league pass team? Because these are typically the more intriguing teams, the teams that are still kind of figuring their shit out. So, Rob, who do you have at the top of your re-ranking? I mean, I think the Pacers are still there and they're yep. they're low enough in the standings mm -hmm. that I think you can you can there's still room on the bandwagon. There's they're still accepting newcomers. They're still selling seats. And honestly, maybe the Timberwolves are in that group, too, just because they've been such a long suffering franchise. They'll take all the support they can get at this point. But the Pacers are on the up and up. They're really fun to watch on a nightly basis. And right now, if anything, this is a time to buy low, right? They're, they've dropped four straight games. They've had they've been missing guys for most of those games. But I, I think they're a team that if you watch nightly, you're going to really enjoy your experience, whether that's what Tyrese Halliburton is cooking up for the Pacers or who it is on the other team that's dropping 50 tonight. There's there's always going to be some redeeming quality of that regular season basketball that's rewarding on, on a, you know, a recurring basis. Well, can I push back just just quickly on the Pacers? Because I, too, was a big Pacers proponent earlier in the season, like. 150 points like in that range like most of the time is something you don't typically see even in the high scoring three-point era of the NBA but like I think the flip side is starting to happen where there are too many like 150 to 130 games where like the offense is great but the defense is so bad that we're getting into more like mm. mukbang territory where it's like oh this is <laughs> like this is too much of a good thing that like my stomach mm. is hurting a little bit as this goes on Interesting. So is it is it a desensitization of what they do or is it just like starting to wear on you the cumulative effect of all of all this scoring going both ways? Too much of a good thing. A lot of scoring mm. is is great. This sort of extreme might be too much. So, for instance, I actually have the Kings pretty high up on my list because it's almost like a more adult measured version of what you're getting with the Pacers, a more refined yes. sort wow. of palette. That wow. is the same story. Like, like, a, like a really like high-end burger, basically, is, is what the Kings are. Sure. Whereas like may, maybe with the, the Pacers, you're still just like scarfing down like the, the gross-out triple-decker sort of thing. He's, he's calling the Pacers barefoot wine, Rob, and, and the Kings are like <laughs> the truce or something. Like yeah, that, like he, that's that's basically yeah. what he's doing there. I don't like it. I don't. I don't appreciate it. And who among us is above an occasional triple triple decker greasy burger, Justin? It's fine every every so often, but like on a game to game, every single game basis, I don't think I could do it. Uh, Waz, who else do you have? 
Dallas Mavericks, man. I've I've had to watch them because they've been playing in a lot of prominent games recently, a few of which they've come out on the the top end of. Um, you know, that Nuggets game notwithstanding, they they kind of got crushed. They ran up against a buzzsaw. But honestly, right now, I think because Jokic is not playing Let's just say he's not trying his hardest at the moment in December. Like it's it's kind of obvious if you watch the Nuggets at all. Not that he's not giving great production. He's just not trying his very hardest. I think Luca is playing the best ball in the league right now. Um, he seems to me to be the most unstoppable force on offense that exists right now, this side of Nikola Jokic. Like you just cannot single cover this guy at this point. The freaking step back to his left is just is completely unstoppable at this point. And yeah, once he gets going downhill, it's amazing. Uh you know his footwork in the post, you know, which always like when people did the Harden comparisons is like, I don't know, man. Harden doesn't have this post footwork back down game Hakeem Olajuwon element to what he's doing, you know, as well as the off the dribble stuff. I just think he is He's he's playing his best ball ever. You know, we predicted his MVP campaigns like three seasons in a row. This year, particularly the last two weeks or so, watching him play, I'm like, man, this is LeBron stuff. This is LeBron in Miami, first thing, Cleveland stuff. This is Jokic last year stuff. And, and beat stuff. Like, this guy is playing at the top level of the league right now. To me, if you if you get a chance to watch Luka and how he's operating with Kyrie out, mind you, you know, he just looks incredible. I have lots of Luka thoughts, lots of Mavs thoughts that I want to touch on a little later with another question. But can I can I pitch you guys on a on a deeper cut league pass potential? Really, I guess Ooh, we're pitching Emma on deeper cut league pass teams. Of course. If wins is not what you're interested in, don't don't do it. The Portland Trailblazers. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. all aboard the Shaden Sharp Express. Shaden Sharp looks incredible. Oh my looks lord. Looks really, really good. Anthony Simons has been back and really impressive. Matisse Thibel is having the season of his life. <laughs> Tumani Kamara? Are you kidding yeah. me? Love Tumani <laughs> Kamara. And don't even talk to me if you don't know about Duapreeth yet. Don't even talk to me. <laughs> Duapreeth, yeah. You, you are apparently. Yeah. You can't come to Christmas dinner if you don't have no. Duapreeth takes. Uh, yeah, I like them. Uh, I, I would say, though, I, I tend not to lean on them as my late night sort of team on, on the Pacific coast here. I tend to would prefer a Kings or like actually the team I have in my list, which might not even qualify as a league pass team because they probably don't play enough league pass games. If you're in the States, because uh, they might be blacked out. If you're in LA, for instance, this is the Lakers. Uh, mm -hmm. Basically since outside of the 2020 title year, every Lakers season has games that can go one way or another. They're in every game to, to the end because they have just enough to where there's stakes and that there's like exciting superstar play happening, but they're, they could lose any game at any moment, even if they're up big, even if they're down big, like it's going to be interesting in the fourth. And for that reason, the Le late era LeBron experience has been one of my favorites. Best sitcom on television. <laughs> I've been saying it's that true. for three years now. <laughs> it's true. They also have that thing going where teams get up to play the Lakers yeah. and they get up to play LeBron. And that's mm -hmm. always going to result in a pretty great product. Yeah. 
Uh, so before we, we leave Emma's email here, she did also have a, a secondary question, which I think we have to address here, which is what have been the silliest metaphors used so far on this season slash what was the most obscure turn of phrase Justin has used? Great question, Emma. Well, <laughs> it's dev talk season here at Spotify. And I feel like this is a good opportunity, Justin, for you to do some self-review because one, we know you listen back to these podcasts like a real sicko. Uh, and two, you were recently complaining about your multiple use of the same phrase in like back-to-back sentences within a minute in our <laughs> in our collective group chat. So I know this is on your mind. Uh, no, that's just more me being self-critical of myself more than it is just like flagellating myself for like a, a beautiful turn of <laughs> phrase here. Um, I would say I'm doing R&D. I'm doing research to make sure that okay. the, the pod is moving smoothly. I don't listen all the time. I would say like maybe once every two weeks just to make sure that I'm not doing the same sort of like ticks, you know, or like, mm. for instance, right there where I just kind of stammered. Uh, I'll just definitely oh, like no. pull, pull the pull the rubber band on my wrist to give me, myself a little slap there. But I think what Emma is saying is, is just like congratulating me for my charismatic and uh, just awesome hosting performance. That's how I read that. That's certainly one way to read it. <laughs> I just take Justin's literary flourishes for granted, honestly. Um, it, it's it's like a thing that I just know is about to happen. I'm not just like, oh, Justin got off a one-liner in metaphor. It's like, it's what he does at this point. It's like LeBron. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't it, take it for It's your powder toss. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you're like the Indiana Pacers. We're just getting deluged by great metaphors all the time <laughs> to the point that we don't even feel them anymore. You know, they just they just wash right over us. Great question, Emma. This has been a, a beautiful discussion. I appreciated this. Um, all right. All right. Next one. Kevin Halligan, who just gave us some facts, which I actually kind of liked. I did. He gave a lot of opinions and they were pretty sharp and pretty uh, incisive mm-hmm. and, and kind of deep cut here. So I want to go through a few of them because I think a lot of them have uh, interesting jumping off points. Uh, the first one he has is Orlando will be a premier free agent destination within 10 years. And and Waz, I think this is an interesting one because on Bill's podcast recently, Doc Rivers talked about back in the day when he was the magic coach and they almost got Tim Duncan and Grant Hill and, and T-Mac in there. Um, this also popped up during the KD era before we realized he just wanted to go to Golden State. There was the very different dude sort of vibe going around the league, wondering if he would go to a smaller market team join up with an Al Horford on the Magic, which was a popular rumor for a couple of weeks there. Uh, do you see the Magic, given where they are in Florida, no state taxes, nice climate? Do you think guys would flock to there if there was a reason to be there, like with the team being good enough? I mean, yeah, I, I, I actually missed the Doc episode, but it's funny because I was going to invoke that Grant Hill, Tracy McGrady, Tim Duncan era of the Magic because... Basically, essentially since that time where Duncan backed out at the very last minute, if legend is to be believed, and Grant Hill actually went, actually left Detroit, um, there's never been this like groundswell of like the magic as this great free agency destination. But I think things can change that, you know, um, superstar composition, you know, if, if they end up getting some superstars, if they're 
ownership front office gets a reputation for being hyper competent and able to produce winners. I think winning matters. San Antonio was able to get guys like Richard Jefferson and the like to go over there because they thought they could win, right? So I think winning will go a long way, but I do see Orlando as having the ability to be no different than the Suns. Right. Um, like you said, great climate. And there's more wealth in that area with than um people would would honestly expect or understand in that central Florida area. And why does that matter? Because rich people need shit to do. Like, you know, there's only but so much shit as a rich person you could do in Oklahoma City. No offense, no disrespect, San Antonio, like it's it's just not Scottsdale. Right. Like, it's just not. Um, There's just a more concentration of wealth. So that means this like socially, these people are able to feel more comfortable in those environments. And so I think Orlando is very underrated in that regard. Yeah, I don't know that they'll ever hit the premier level of L.A. or or even necessarily Miami. Like, I think those markets have different draws for different reasons. Mm -hmm. But you could see the magic pulling a big time free agent with the right timing. If Paolo is popping off, if Franz is popping off, if they continue to win, if the market aligns just so where the right guy comes available, you could see them getting one of the best players on the market in a given summer. But as far as this 10-year timeline, how sure are we that Florida is going to be above water in 10 oh, years? Here we go. I, here I'm, we go. I admire and, and the optimism. Rob has I admire the, the optimism. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, because you're suggesting that they will have formed a separate state with California. Oh, no, I'm just I just think in 10 years, half the country is going to be underwater at that point, And we're going to need to accept that. So yeah, as long as we're living on houseboats, about climate change, um, global alarm, Rob has checked in. <laughs> yes, I'm I'm just I'm just sad. I couldn't get my YouTube was takes off on this pod. because <laughs> It might explode up here, boy. <laughs> well, there's, there's more. Patreon. There's more pods. Yeah, there's, I, assure, I assure you, was you will have your opportunity. So. I'm actually mixed on Orlando as a free agent destination. To me, they seem more like a team that's going to have to trade for, for instance, the way that Denver had to trade for Aaron Gordon. And the guy is willing to stay both because the team is good and because they will make more because of no state taxes. My theory about the NBA in terms of free agent destinations is you actually we need a scatter plot of of the U.S. to track the conglomeration of Instagram models, because that is where guys actually want to be. And so mm. I don't think it's a coincidence, for instance, that guys want to be in Brooklyn and New York as opposed to even a Chicago, which a lot of people have suggested is a sleeping giant. So Orlando, maybe, but like the L.A. teams, definitely. Yeah. Chicago doesn't have the IG models. This is no, news to me. No, 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 no. Absolutely Too cold. not. Well, cor- correct me if I'm wrong. This is uh, I'm 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 wading into waters that are deeper than I'm used to here. But trust me, Miami, <laughs> sure, Miami, sure. the concentration of them in Miami, you wouldn't you wouldn't even believe. And obviously, L.A. is the mecca, <laughs> North Hollywood specifically. But don't ask me how I know that. Well, isn't the appeal of the Instagram model though that you can fly them out? That it's a transportable enterprise. But that's an added expense. Sure, from from Miami, like I think that's close enough. You know, it's a regional sure, flight at that but point. Isn't an Uber X preferable to a flight, Rob? Um, if you get my drift, there are it's to this. just yeah. the concentration. The, those levels matter. And again, like even a place like Houston, which you know to me is like the Black Boston, where like 
the way white people talk about Boston, like a lot of minorities are just like, what is that? Like, why? Like, what's the big deal? Like, that's how I feel like white people feel about Houston when they hear black people describe it. Like, oh my God, Houston is it, blah, blah, blah. And it's for a lot of those same reasons, to be quite honest, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I think Justin is, is, is hit the nail on something there. Okay. I need to get a research paper out on this and see if I can get it to Sloan. Also, um, don't forget about ATL in that mixture. Don't forget. That's true. Um, all right. So this is a multi-tiered sort of uh, prompt here uh, because it's all based on coverage and, and TV and the future of, uh, of game casts. Uh, ESPN is finishing a run similar to that of MTV in the mid-80s, 90s. It will ultimately be sold and rebuilt as a sports betting entertainment product. That's one. The structure of NBA television coverage has reached its logical conclusion and will feel quaint in five years. A social app will sign a deal for sideline access to players and coaches within five years. A player-produced live stream will become a popular alternative to traditional network post-game coverage within three years. It makes more sense for a social network to stream an NBA game than for a broadcast network. Um, what do you think, Rob? This is just a lot of thoughts about the way we kind of consume the product. Do you think in the next couple of years, things will be different than what we're used to? I don't think so in part because TV revenue is still such a huge component of league revenue and the league's finances and the way everything is broken down and split up. So changing, what we're talking about is not changing how NBA games are broadcast and consumed. What we're talking about is changing the financial structure of the way the NBA works. And that's a yeah. much bigger and thornier proposition. And it's, it's a, region, like a reason why all of the mess with the regional sports networks right now has become such a problem in terms of availability of games, but also like is is are these companies even going to exist in the near future? Who's going to acquire them? Who's going to operate them? Ultimately, I think broadcast TV, especially when it comes to sports, is going to have a bit of a longer tail than Kevin is suggesting here. I think all, at the germ of all of these ideas makes sense, and we can see some of them already. For example, like a player-produced post-game live stream after games kind of replacing say, inside the NBA over the course of time. Like, we've already got Draymond Green doing podcasts after games. We've already got players... Not anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> we did. <laughs> At one point, we did. But we, we already have some form of that with live podcasts, with video versions of podcasts. Like, what is ultimately the difference between that and a post-game live stream? It's just a matter of logistics. So I could see something like that happening. But in terms of where the games themselves are broadcast... I don't think the NBA is going to jump too quickly into a full streaming revolution. It's it's going to take time. It's going to be a very long dwindling tail here. And in part, I think they just don't want to leave like viewers who are still tethered to their cable subscriptions entirely behind. They're going to have to wean them off of those things. What I will say, though, that the viewer feels like is speaking to is that I don't know that the NBA and its product has been very well served by ESPN over the last few years. I'd like, I, I don't know that. And I'm not saying like a lot of full disclosure, I have friends that work over there. These are people whose work I admire. I'm talking about the suits and how they've positioned the NBA. I don't know that they've done a good job of eventizing the actual product that is that are NBA games. It, like, that's just my opinion. Um, and, you know, a lot of people might say, oh, you, you nostalgic and you washed up. I'm just like, yo, if you look at NBA on NBC and the presentation of that product, 
um, compared to how ESPN handles the NBA. It just doesn't feel um, as important. I think whoever the broadcast partner is, be it a streamer, be it a traditional broadcast network, um, just has to do a good job of explaining to people that like this is a must-see event and you need to be here to watch it when it comes on. Um, certain like football just obviously has its own built-in advantages because of the scarcity of the games. Um, I think college football has the advantages. I, college football honestly reminds me of the EPL and um and European soccer because those clubs have been there for a hundred fucking years, right? Like they've been playing Army Navy for how freaking long? Like Notre Dame has been playing USC for how freaking long, right? Same with Michigan and Ohio State. There's like this built-in tradition and culture around these events that don't exist with NBA events. And I think the best partners are going to find a way to tap into that type of thing. Um, obviously, they can't do it from, you know, decades and millennia of, you know, tradition, but they're going to have to find another way to goose it, right? Like you see F1 doing this. You see like other sports doing it. I think the NBA has a very freaking compelling product and the right partner, whoever that be, be it ESPN or somebody else in the future is going to have to figure out a way to tap into that sort of um, appeal for fans. That kind of goes back to something Adam Silver was talking about earlier this season, too, about the way we package the game and sell the game. And I think the takeaway that a lot of people had was, oh, he's he's suggesting more like X and O's type of like in-game coverage. Like, let's talk more about the on-court product. I think there's lots of ways to, to goose it, as you were saying, was to create interest that go beyond play breakdown. I, th I think it's just a matter of understanding that the drama of basketball, the drama of the sport yes. is not just the trade market and it's not just gossip. <laughs> There's all like, look what's happening Boy, between listen. the Pacers, the Pacers and the Bucks right now. Because of the way this the is season the is scheduled. Blogger shit I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> See, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. Like, really? look at the response to the game ball bullshit after that. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's an emotional petty moment at the end of a, a game. And that's a way to sell the next game. The next and game. Not the next trade. Yep. <laughs> Not the next signing, but like something that happened on the court that's a way that expresses why this next game is going to have stakes. See, I actually, I don't think that those are scratching different niches. I think those are the same thing. It's all like petty gossip, rumor mill type of stuff. It's yeah, just but one thing actually leads to the game, Justin, right. and the other leads to I Twitter. Mean, well, watching. no. So here's the thing. Like, I, I think the NBA had a mini boomlet when LeBron went to Miami specifically for that. I do think the, the constant player movement does create intrigue. Like when you go into a new season, you want to see new guys in new places. And if anything, when guys tend to stick around now, maybe we're just attuned to the way the, the league operates now. I actually think it's the opposite. I think like just, yeah, maybe there are more rivalries, but I don't know if there's going to be more interest as a result of that. So, so where I disagree with you on that, Justin, is that like, yes, people were interested because LeBron changed teams and that people were fucking angry. <laughs> like, people were screaming at him in Memphis. People were screaming at him in Utah at the games, right? And so the fact that he switched teams and these Utah games now had stakes. Like, the games had stakes because of that transaction. That transaction was tied to games having higher stakes. Transactions weren't tied to... Go to Twitter, keep refreshing your feed for the next transaction. You just you don't see the difference there. I think there's a huge difference in that. 
I don't disagree necessarily that there's probably too much of the transactional stuff that it might be eating away from someone who might be interested in basketball. There might be more of a divide between an online fan who doesn't consume the game and only the Twitter feeds and people who actually are still doing that. But I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I actually think that feeds into interest for the game. And I think like even the Giannis ball thing, like that's the same thing. It's off the court drama, building stakes, building tension. Like, I don't know. I I don't really see those things as different, to be honest. Well, they're they're not mutually exclusive, but I think the key is understanding that all of those things have a place in the ecosystem and that the only game in town is not the transaction game, right? Because if you are only creating interest through players changing teams, that doesn't feel very sustainable over the course of an entire regular season, right? There's going to be a lot of interest at concentrated points, beginning of the season and the trade deadline primarily. Everything in between, that's why you're drumming up the in-season tournament. That's why you're trying to get people interested in things that aren't just who is new on this roster. And I, I agree with you that the the game ball thing with Giannis leans a little bit into kind of the, the pettiness that, pe- that drives people to the game, that pulls people to the game. But it came from a game in which everyone was pissed off, where the Pacers were fouling him a ton. And a matchup that even before that game, their previous matchups had been contentious and Damian Lillard was guaranteeing, I think it was at a charity event, telling kids, we're going to win tonight. I'm going to go off for 30 plus. Like there's yeah. all of these things that are feeding into each other. And, and one little mechanism that I think is helping with this is the scheduling of some of these games and these season series where you are getting more occasions of teams playing each other two and three times in a matter of a couple weeks. I think that is a really great idea that has paid off. I think that's leading to more fights. Honestly, like what happened with Draymond choking Good. out Rudy Gobert? We need more fights. I, well, see, well, what's the difference between a fight and like a fucking trade rumor? Like you're you're acting like one is more like is better for the product than the other one. It's all like tapping into the same sort of like lizard brain sort of sort of approach to it. That's not why Draymond took a swing at Yusuf Nurkic. Like that's not what happened. No, 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 no. I'm saying in specifically the instance with the with the Timberwolves where there was a, a scuffle in, I believe, Golden State. They played them the very next game and things popped off immediately. That is, is what's sure. leading to the more fights. Yeah. And I don't think that's necessarily good for the game. If anything, as a national fan, as someone who isn't watching each one team each game, I actually find the back-to-backs tend to be a little bit more redundant because I've already watched this matchup to get oh, it so no. soon and for the stakes to not build. I also think, like, by the way, how many people actually watched that Bucks Pacers game going in because D- Dame said something about wanting to score a bunch of points going into that? Yeah, but and how but many people are just, going to actually watch that? That's our job as the media, though. But well, to see, me, that's what as I'm saying, a you're partner, the media, not as like not as like a casual fan. I think you guys are projecting onto the, the stakes that people are more interested in that. We're saying our Ooh. job is to create that interest. To nurture, <laughs> nurture and a, grow that interest. I don't I don't work for the NBA. My job is to just no, say no, no. things are interesting when they happen. Yeah, but Justin, if the NBA ceased to matter, your job would cease to matter too. For sure. So the okay. two things are related. <laughs> like if the NBA became a sport that nobody cared about, but for Twitter, then then like what are we really talking about here? Like that like to me, is it's not that my job is to make people think the NBA is compelling. Like, no, I think the NBA is compelling and therefore I do my job a certain way. I'm just saying, like when the coverage gets when the idea that what's most interesting about the game compels people to run to their timeline 
and not games that's a problem, in my opinion. <laughs> like that's just I don't think we're saying different opinion. things. I actually don't think we're saying different things. I, I just think you guys are overemphasizing what some of the other stuff you're mentioning is doing as opposed to like some of the trade activity. Like, that's all. It's all feeding into the same ecosystem for sure. And, and there isn't the same level of interest without the movement, without free agency, without trade rumors. Like, there's a reason why we talked about so much energy coming from that LeBron signing and that changing of teams and the way that really juiced the entire league and gave the entire league something to focus on and play into and play for. So it, it is coming from the same place. I just want to make sure that we have room for lots of different kinds of coverage and lots of different ways to pull people in beyond just that. So I, I and ultimately, in terms of like the ESPN product or the way the NBA is packaged, these are complicated questions. They're complicated questions that are, are moving against the slow deterioration of broadcast TV in general, that are moving against overall tendencies away from watching full games and whether the league should care about that. Like, should the NBA... Should it matter to the league office that people consume their games in lots of different, more bite-sized ways than watching games in full? Yeah, and I also think a lot of this conversation kind of taps into something foundational about how the NBA became successful to begin with, which is David Stern broadcasting the stars over the team, of Magic and Bird over like uh, uh, even a Lakers and a Celtics. And so it is sort of trying to move away from what was already successful. And I think that's why you get a divide, which is what Waz was referring to, of maybe not having the same sort of history and legacy. It's because we constantly put the players over the teams. And I don't really know how to change that, especially because the NBA has always leaned more young as, as a fan base. It, it has specifically targeted younger fans. And so, like, yes, there are certain things to augment that, but... Ultimately, I think they're constantly chasing after what's new, and that kind of cuts against the history and the legacy that college football, for instance, has. Yeah, I, I don't see the star problem as a problem because nope. if, if somebody were far forecasting, they'd be like, oh, my God, how do we replace Magic Bird, Jordan? How do we replace Jordan, Shaq, Kobe, KG, AI? You know, how do we replace that? constantly refreshing. Is the thing, yeah, as opposed gonna, to like the jerseys themselves. Yeah, yeah, I think the ability for the NBA to produce compelling individuals, I, I like, I will never feel doubt, feel like there's any doubt of that. You know, like, I, I think even right now, like you think about the Jaws and the and the Ant Edwards and those kind of, like these guys are compelling. These guys are cool. These guys are fascinating dudes. I just think, you know, um, it's a it's a marketing problem. It's a promotional problem. It's a, or even probably it's it's that's that's how your league stays relevant is that you get people to care about it. And so, you know that that's for the suits to figure out. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Like the suits at the broadcast companies and the suits, you know, um, in Manhattan. That that's for them to figure out. Cash in on balling out this NBA season with Fanduel. America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. I am looking at the odds for Wednesday's action. I like the Timberwolves plus three and a half on the road going into Philly. I know the Sixers have been very good, but have you looked at the schedule of late? A lot of Wizards, a lot of Pistons, a lot of Hawks. I like the Sixers this year, but I'm not so sure. And get this. This stat comes courtesy of Rob Mahoney's stats and information. The Wolves are the best team by far 
against top 10 opponents this year. Sixers, eh, more middle of the pack. And if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to join. The app is easy to use and there's a wide range of ways to bet, including quick bets, live same game parlays, the parlay hub, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash RingerNBA and turn dimes into dollars this season. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. First online real money wager only, $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Let's move along here because there's also another one on this list that I specifically want to get Waz's take on, which is that player fashion has reached a nadir. 100%. It's a fact. That's not even <laughs> That's not even a question. Uh, it, it's like, to me, what these guys are wearing right now, it's, it's no different to when my mom forced me to wear certain stuff to go to school. Um, this, is, this is what's happening with players, only it's just their stylists. Um, they, they've all farmed out this, this job to stylists, professionals, not to say these people aren't good at what they do, but like a lot of it is just dudes are just literally just showing up in whatever their stylist told them to wear all these freaking designer name brands. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just, it, it looks like a Halloween costume. I swear to God with a lot of these dudes. And I would agree with that statement. So yeah, shouts to you for, for pointing that out, brother. Kevin Halligan. Rob, what is your take have, on player fashion? <laughs> I have zero take on player fashion. Uh I, I mean I do I do agree with the idea of like the depersonalization of player style. And you could look at this at player branding more broadly. Like who these guys are is less like less and less represented in what they do. There's so many different corporate interests. There's so many different like bodies to serve and agents to appease that. I feel like in some ways we have lots of access to these guys. And in some ways we have like no idea who Jason Tatum is. And maybe that's because Jason Tatum doesn't want to put himself out there in quite that way. And that's fine. But there are a lot of stars who are really interesting. And there are a lot of stars who I have no concept of what is important to them, even if it's a matter of like what they actually want to wear beyond what their, their stylist would tell them to. I'm pro getting away from suits from coaches. I'll say that well, sure, because the that's more out. I think about that, yeah, like it must be awful to sweat in a suit for 82 games a year. 
And now I think a lot of like iconoclasts would prefer that, like to see the same thing that they used to see with Pat Riley and the Gucci and all that. I have to say, like, I'm just a fan of coaches being liberated, (laughs) being no longer bound by neckties. Do you know what's so funny? I'm of two minds of that because personally, I hate a dress code of any kind. I'm like pretty much morally opposed to the idea that we would tell a grown-up how to show up to a place so that they're worthy of some type of respect and dignity, right? Like a lawyer can't do his job in a hoodie. I find that to be ridiculous um, as a concept. At the same time, like I kind of do want these guys in suits because it makes the games feel important. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like they're dressed up for work. You know what I mean? Like it makes it feel like we're at this professional, really big deal event because these dudes are dressed up. So it's like personally and hypocritically, I would not <laughs> want to be subjected to that dress code. But as a consumer, I, I do enjoy watching the coaches um, get dressed up. I recognize my contradictions there, Rob. I'm a human being. Bring back the team suits. Bring back like the LeBron buying Tom Fords for everyone on the roster. <laughs> That's go. what we need for a playoff run. This there is why go. I wear a suit to every podcast, actually. The listener doesn't see that, but every every time <laughs> he's, he's I'm bringing it. A suit, it's yo. looking great. Well tailored. I like honestly, great fit, Justin. Yeah, thank you. Um, all right. So this one is from Scott Tobias, I believe acclaimed TV and film critic on Twist uh, on Twitter. Uh he he's a constant uh, fan and, and gives a lot of feedback and we appreciate that. Uh, his first question is, would you agree that the greatness of a Muppet Christmas Carol lies in Michael Caine taking the assignment seriously and giving the definitive Scrooge performance? And I have to say, we got a lot of Muppet Christmas Carol feedback. Did, Damn straight did, we did. did. You guys, is this another podcast you guys did without me? Like, What, what happened here? <laughs> I have here? no idea. <laughs> I included it in the tweet prompt. Because this is a oh, movie that's very near and dear to my heart and clearly very important to lots of people, even if you you two have never quite treated yourselves to its wonders just yet. What, what do you think about Michael Caine's performance? Oh, this, this is without a doubt the correct take. Like That movie works because Michael Caine is welling up at like Fozzie Bear because he's like full on screaming at fucking Beaker. He's going 110%, completely sells it. It's genuinely one of the most masterful performances I've ever seen. And sometimes Michael Caine is like acting opposite a Muppet cabbage. So please, please, this holiday season, if you've never seen the Muppet Christmas Carol, go see it. If it's it's playing in some theaters in a rep capacity right now, go see it. Get yourself a DVD. Get yourself, I think it's maybe on Disney Plus. Just the greatest Christmas movie of our time. Waz, do you have any Christmas staples? Any Christmas movies you watch every year? No, I don't. And and I have to confess, I've never seen a Muppet Christmas Carol. Was come um, on. And I want to bring the listeners behind the scenes a little bit. Uh when I when I was being interviewed to work at the ringer, I was explaining to Sean Fantasy, um, shouts to Sean Fantasy, the big dog. I was like, yo, I'm actually a big consumer of the ringer because um it's like educational, like my white cultural literacy is being like enhanced <laughs> by consuming the content. Like nobody Good in Lord. my crib, whether it be my older brother or older sister, definitely not my Haitian ass mom, was like, yo, let's watch a Muppet Christmas Carol. Like it just, 
it just wasn't a thing. So learning what this thing is and why people loved it is the kind of thing that I would consume the ringer for. So, and that's not even like a dig. That's just a straight up like it's, for it real. Sounds like bro. a dig was. It's not. It sounds it's like not. a dig. You're, tr- you're treating it's this podcast not. like a sociologist. It's like what are these weird and it's crazy not. things you guys are into? Their traditions are so fascinating. It, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. It, 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 like even. You know, when, I, when I'm listening to Rob's show, um, 60 Songs, which no cap is my fa- favorite individual ringer podcast. It's my One favorite of the best things that we, we do at the out. whole company. Holy like, shit. Rob, Rob is think- killing it. I, I never listen to Incubus, <laughs> but I'm gonna listen to the episode because I'm about to learn about it. Straight yeah. up. Like, I never listen to these cats. You know what I mean? Yo, like, the other day, Rob put out a Sublime episode, right? And Great episode. You, you guys are gonna absolutely appreciate this. So when I was at Penn State, my my first Christmas, um, I was trying to avoid taking a bus back or a train back to New York. This is it's like forever. And I was like, man, I hope I could get a ride. And it was like a Facebook group of New Yorkers at Penn State. And it's like, yo, um, uh, we're we're only um Anybody who needs a ride, all you got to do is pay me. I think it was like 20 bucks for gas. I'm going to Long Island. This this kid was going to Long Island, which Queens is on the way to Long Island from Pennsylvania. So it was like a perfect thing. And, you know, I get there with my bags or whatever. I'm meeting this kid for the first time. And he says to me, hey, the, the only thing I got to tell you is that we're going to listen to Sublime and 311 the entire way there. <laughs> and I was like, brother, you can play whatever you want, man. You dropping me door to door from Penn State to Queens. I don't give a damn. So it's like, yeah, man, a lot of times I just love up in my 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 you know cultural blind spots and a lot of that stuff honestly is just like shit that's just coded as white as hell you know what i mean sublime being one of them yeah justin were you a sublime guy i could see you being a sublime guy i had a phase whatever the popular album was i definitely played that on repeat in high school sure. a bunch your santerias and whatnot your your what yeah. i've got <laughs> right uh so I didn't get into the d- deep cuts. No, like uh, whatever that cover band that came up after the singer died. Uh, something with Rome. Uh, well, I think it's the same band just with a new singer. So not technically okay. a cover Sublime band. with Rome. But yes. 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 There's also a, a, a cover band that does it like religiously that also oh. is in heavy circulation. I, I don't I don't go to that extent. But yes, Sublime. I actually haven't seen a Muppet Christmas Carol either. Fix not it. part of my rotation. Yeah, I know. Fix I only that. watch... Uh, I watch Manchester by the Sea every year every instead. Jesus Christ. <laughs> what the hell? Sicko I'm New kidding. England bro, bro. Sicko. Uh, <laughs> really puts me in the frame of mind, you know? Uh, all right. Well, Scott also had a, a basketball question, which I thought was really fascinating. Uh, what would be your choice for the league's best player in a currently bad situation? And where would you move him to unlock his potential greatness? And now Scott uses Emmanuel quickly as an example and putting him on the Spurs. So not necessarily a player on a bad team, just in a bad situation. Wise, what do you have? I mean, I think Jeremy Grant is still would still be useful for any um, any contender whatsoever that wanted to give up stuff for him, right? Be be they the Heat. Be they well, the Bucks ain't got nothing, but he would like he would turn the Bucks into literally, you know, the greatest team since the the ninety five ninety six Bulls, right? And so, I think of Jeremy Grant in that way. 
Um, so, like, I interpreted this question a little bit differently. I was just like, LaMelo Ball needs to get the fuck up out of Charlotte. <laughs> I mean, I, I think you could argue the Hornets situation is pretty bad overall. It's, 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 you know, whatever, new ownership, so hope springs eternal. But, like, man, I, I, I would love to see him literally anywhere with, like, even a baseline level of competence um, to get out of this. So those are the guys that immediately came to mind for me because, you know, Jeremy Grant, I just think his talents are being wasted in Portland, and you know, if you remember, if, if if people don't remember this, the reason why he got paid in Detroit is because he unlocked a lot of things for Denver during that playoffs, right? Just filling in the blanks and the gaps when Jokic is getting double attacking double teams for the first time in his career, he started splashing that corner three. You know, every now and again, he's taking smaller guys off the dribble. Like he showed this sort of, you know, Swiss Army capability with a team that ultimately ended up in the conference finals that year. And that's why he's got paid. But ever since then, he's been in exile, right? He's He's been, you know, on, on the road to, to Damascus. And so we need to get this guy <laughs> on a real was. team, y'all. <laughs> I will say by choice, though. He chose to yes. go to yeah, Detroit he over the bread. Denver. He, did. he chased the bread. And, it and he did out sign that big-ass extension. Yeah, absolutely. He loves him for that. Well, and the reporting around Grant's situation right now suggests that the Blazers don't really want to trade him, and we don't really have any indication that he's particularly unhappy there. Although, as someone watching the game, I would love to see him on a winning team again, Waz. I would love to see him in a competitive environment. Uh, but yeah, I think there's a couple of different ways to come at this question. If you're looking at like the best player who's in a bad situation, that's when you get into your Lomelos. That's when you get into, I think, your Lowry Markinens, who... Mm. you. Know, not an old, not an old guy by any means. Only twenty six, but by the time the Jazz are on their competitive timeline, like they, this is a team with a long way to go before they're really climbing up the West. Is he willing to wait that long? Does he want to wait that long? And frankly, Michael Pina put the idea of Lowry Markkinen as a member of the Thunder in my head, and I, I can't shake it loose. He's really sweet, really sweet fit there. I think on the lower, on the Emmanuel quickly end of the spectrum. How do we make Quentin Grimes a Milwaukee Buck? It's a good fit. He's already been, he's been benched in New York. His minutes are erratic. His touches are erratic. Don't you remember when Quentin Grimes was untouchable piece? He was like this untradeable, like uh, y'all trying to trade, y'all trying to put Quentin Grimes in the trades. Like that's, that's crazy. And now he can't get off the bench. (laughs) I don't think Kevin Durant signed off on that. Apparently. I love that when he griped about not getting enough opportunities, he immediately got sent to the bench. <laughs> it was like, it was a quick leash with him, which is disappointing because he's a good player. He's a good player, and I think he could be better served in a lot of different places that need his perimeter defense, even if they can put up with some of the shakier come-and-go shooting from him. But also, Tyus Jones, he doesn't deserve this. But let's get yeah. Tyus Jones out of Washington. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the spur the, re, reunite the Joneses in, in San Antonio, I think makes sense. Put him on the Suns. And I think that could be something to really cook with one of the highest turnover teams in the league in Phoenix. Like Tyus Jones would be a great kind of caretaker for them. So I'm, I'm hoping to get Tyus Jones out of Wizards based exile. 
One more thing about Lori marketing and the situation being bad. Like, I don't know. It went from, you know, he was basically trade fodder in a, a deal that was, you know, made to get as many picks as possible to All-Star Weekend. And you weren't there, Rob, but his his posters in Utah dwarfed that of Steph Curry's. Okay? Like, it was kind was of a much crazy. Larger guy. You, got off, you got off the plane and it was just Laurie Markinen just everywhere it, <laughs> like you would have thought he was an mvp candidate the way the jazz and we utah treated his his all-star game appearance it was kind of amazing yeah he appeals to the fan base oh, um so i have uh on my list i have kyle kuzma for similar reasons to rob with tyus jones gotta get him off of the wizards i have him going to the heat which is a pretty uh popular destination at least on this podcast trey young how about trey young to the jazz which is odd because we really are just shuffling the decks between two bad teams at this point. But could Will Hardy, for instance, find a version of Trey Young? It's a little bit more palatable. Work him into a system. Um, and then I had Cade Cunningham go into the Spurs. Definitely won't happen. There's no way that Shrek gives up on him. He's like one of their few good salvageable players left on the sinking ship. Um, but putting him next to Wemby would be pretty fantastic. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, those are two guys that both deserve mention. Like the Spurs and the Pistons are so bad. I think the Spurs situation is probably a little healthier and a little better despite all the losses that have been mounting lately. The Pistons just have so much work to do in terms of figuring out what their roster needs to look like and creating the space that Cade needs to thrive. So putting him somewhere where he has actual room to breathe would be a a nice relief and certainly a, a fair way for us to judge like, is this guy the playmaker he's cracked up to be, the superstar who the Detroit hopes he can be. We, we don't even really have a definitive answer on that yet because he hasn't had the space to prove it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Trading that man to the Spurs so he could be around even more bricklayers. I mean, come on, man. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's get this man to a spot where he can get a good role, man, some some nice shooting, you know, some, some good space and disciplined space, incredible spacers and shooters. Let me see that. Just for once before, like, you know, I throw in the towel on this guy and his all-star potential, man. Like, he's in a just a calamitous situation right now, bro. Like, the roster construction is so uneven and discombobulated. Like, there's no logic to to the lineups that they're putting out there. You know, I know Killian Hayes is supposed to be whatever. And, you know, all these, the, like, the, the stu- like, they're forcing Stewart to be a power forward now, even though he's clearly a setter. Just because you take threes don't mean you're going to make them, okay? <laughs> it doesn't make you a stretch forward just because you take threes. Um, those threes have to go in occasionally. Like, I'd like to see this guy play with a, a roster that actually made some type of sense and was actually complimentary. Congrats to the Spurs, though, on, on breaking their losing streak. Huge, huge development, huge news. Yes. And yeah, there yes. is some real out of the frying pan uh, stuff at work with Cade being potentially traded to the Spurs. But at least they haven't lost 24 straight games. Listen, Devin Vassell is going to look like prime Steph Curry to Cade Cunningham after he gets off of Detroit. Like just having one of those guys would make a big difference. Um, all right, let's do one more because you fucking marketing executives took 20 minutes on that question. Um, <laughs> we? We did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bullshit. Let's let's just do a bunch of play breakdowns on, on Twitter and that's going to sell. I literally um, said, don't do that. <laughs> literally said it. You said it, but you didn't. Your follow up kind of contradicted it. Um, 
Piri Rutherford, uh, in quotes, a big fan of the Thunder from Down Under. That's also Waz's nickname when we get off the pod. Um, is this Thunder rookie group the best ever? Has a group of players on rookie contracts ever been so impactful on a contender? And so I did some deep research on this one because this is a fascinating question. We should mention first and foremost that Shea isn't part of this rookie contract core uh, for the Thunder as currently constructed. It would be Giddy, J-Dub, J-Will, Usman Jang, Chet, Wallace. And if you want to throw him in there, like a Trey Mann, a Michich, there's going to be more because I think Giddy isn't eligible for a rookie contract extension until next start of next season and thus it wouldn't roll over until the following off season. So there's actually another rookie class that they could shoehorn in here. So just in terms of pure depth, uh, it is pretty remarkable. Uh, but I think first and foremost, where we have to start in terms of comparison would be OKC from t- 2009, 2010, which th- these are the players that they had not on adult contracts. They hadn't signed a second contract yet. Kevin Durant, Jeff Green, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Serge Ibaka, and then if you want to throw them in there, Thabo Cephalosha and Eric Maynard and Byron Mullins, who were yeah, we at do. the time. Yeah, we want to throw them in there. Low Eric first Maynard round picks, legend, so we were bro. pretty, yeah, we, we were actually intrigued by those guys at a, at a time. So we have to throw those in there because like some of the guys on the Thunder might not make as much of a leap as we probably expect. For the people who weren't there, there was a legitimate movement that the Thunder need to start Eric Maynard over Russell Westbrook that it was like <laughs> yeah. this Russell Westbrook is taking so much away from Kevin Durant and Jeff Green that we need to start Eric Maynard. It was it, it got a lot of groundswell and yeah. hasn't quite paid off. Hasn't quite paid off, I don't think. That but team it, won hey, 50 if you're out games. there. Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good. So I would say three MVPs is is a tough bar to leap over. Um I, I have so. a few more here, but do you guys have any others? For sure. I think for me, when I think about young cores all kind of coming up together, my go-to is of the same era, and it's the 2009 Blazers, which was Brandon Roy's rookie year, LaMarcus Aldridge, Greg Oden's, or sorry, this is Brandon Roy in year three, Greg Oden's rookie year, but also Nicholas Batum's rookie year, Rudy Fernandez's rookie year, Jared Bayless's rookie year, a guy who I swore up and down was going to make yeah, it as a star yeah, in the yeah. league, Jared but did Bayless not. Jared Bayless is my answer to that question, by Oof. the way. Yeah. Love Jared Bayless. <laughs> I was obsessed with Jared Bayless. <laughs> he he had it. I, I could have swore I could see he it in his eyes. Look for he had sure. the look, for sure. And he was like the supremely confident dude. And in college, the dude was freaking unstoppable. I was like, surely this 6'2 guy is going to translate to the bros. <laughs> <laughs> you just couldn't stay in front of him. But overall, of their top 11 guys in minutes, eight of them were in the first four years of their career. And that team won 54 games. So like that, that to me is another one of these like young core standards. But they didn't climb as high as OKC did. And none of those guys hit the levels that any of, of Westbrook or Durant did, certainly. Except for yeah, Sergio it's, it's Rodriguez. The, you know, well, he, he had, uh, he had I mean, a run... Overseas, eventually. Respect where it's due. <laughs> Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook didn't match the beard that Sergio Rodriguez produced over time. So who's to say which one is more important? Yeah, sure. even Ibaka's career w- was pretty ex- insane when you consider the contracts that guy was able to earn. Non-max deals for the most part, but like, man, like he got paid in the league 
And so it's it's tough. And also, man, if you remember that series against the Lakers where Kobe just went out of his way to really like be like, yo, man, these dudes are coming, blah, 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 which is just not a thing that Kobe did a lot, honestly. Like he would be respectful of the opponent for the most part, but he definitely wasn't praising people in defeat. Like that never happened. And with this group, he was just, you know, really blown away by the talent that they had amassed and collected. You know, it's a shame that the cheapskate nature of the ownership had to break it up prematurely, but that's a pod for another day. Um, we're not going to relitigate the Harden trade here. This this team lost in the first round to the Lakers that year. Next year, they made it to the finals, which I, I think they were still underneath the threshold of a second contract. All those guys. Unfortunately, the, the next rookie class was just Cole Aldrich. They had too many young guys <laughs> that they couldn't actually bring in any more intriguing young guys. So, but that was, that would probably be the, the one team that, that would be the high standard, the the finals team with all these guys. Yeah, I I think it's a fair one. And the other way to take this question, I think is looking at who were the most individually impactful rookie scale players on like impact Mm. on winning for contending teams. Because yeah, you can get a long laundry list of guys on rookie scale for the thunder. Now in the past, Um, you can get that blazers team that I mentioned, but I'm not sure there's a single rookie scale player who has ever had a greater impact on a contending team than 2006 Dwayne Wade. So mm. 06 Wade and Haslam came in together, both in their third years at that point. Absolute monstrous impact. And as far as rookies specifically, I think Donovan Mitchell deserves a call out in 2018. Like he transformed the Jazz immediately coming in after Gordon Hayward had exited there. And that was a team that still had some other young guys kind of kicking around too. You had Royce O'Neal coming in at the same time. Joe Ingles, who was in his fourth year going on 40. Dante Exum in his third year at that point. And that was a 48-win team that almost ended Carmelo Anthony's career. They embarrassed him so badly in the playoffs. So I, I think there's a lot of different ways to take this question. It just matters if like the depth of what the current Thunder have is what's impressive to you, or if it's the fact that Chet could be an all-NBA level player someday, and we're already seeing flashes of it. Yeah, if you want to go high-end, obviously the Warriors, 2012, 2013, 147 games, made the second round, I believe, that year. Yeah. It's Curry, it's Clay, it's Draymond, it's Barnes, it's Ely, and Bazemore. That was the year they pushed the Spurs, right? It's kind of like their coming yes. out party season. Yep. Uh, but if you want to go for pure depth, I think this might be the gold standard, which is the 2017-2018 Los Angeles Lakers, who won a robust <laughs> 35 games that year. This is the lineup that they had on their roster. Julius Randle, Larry Nance, Brandon Ingram, Gary Payton II, who I believe was like a 10-day or maybe like a late-season signing, uh, Zubac, Lonzo Ball, Thomas Bryant, Alex Caruso, Josh Hart, and Kyle Kuzma. And if you want to throw him in in addition to that, Jordan Clarkson was technically in his fourth year, but because he was a second-rounder, he got an extension sooner than possible. So if we're just going by fourth year or less, that's... Is it 10 guys? To have that many young guys and like the amount of these dudes who are going to have 10-year NBA careers is kind of insane when you really boil it down. For sure. Like the high end obviously is Ingram and and Randall, which, you know, (laughs) you know, but still like the amount of guys on this team that are literally legitimate NBA pros going to earn over $100 million in their career is just like, that's staggering, dude. But not a winning team. 
Not a no. contending team, certainly. No. No, but I do think there's like a six degrees of separation thing happening where I think you could tell the past years, the past like 10 years of NBA basketball through this one team. Just the connections and the type of teams that they ended up on. Like these are all yeah. like above average, solid ass players that we talk about constantly on podcasts. The podcast is so true. Endle- endlessly relevant this group for good reasons and bad, for playing with stars, for toiling away now on franchises in Kyle Kuzma's case. Like there's Terrible definitely a story to tell. In Lonzo's case. Well, and in and in uh, Larry Nance's case, who's had yeah, a hard time nice. staying healthy consistently. Endlessly relevant. That's what the New York Times is saying about the group chat podcast. <laughs> um, so we'll be back, I think, a day earlier than is typical. Usually we publish uh, the weekend pod on Sunday. I think we're coming to your feeds on Saturday because we have a special Christmas edition. Maybe Waz and I will watch A Christmas Carol before then. Probably not. Maybe Rob will watch Manchester by the Sea. Only Muppet Christmas. I don't care about any other Scrooges but Michael Caine. He's, he's my Scrooge. It's okay. Christmas time <laughs> in the city. <laughs> Caroler was in full effect. Yeah. Uh, thank you to Isaiah Blakely. Thank you to Ben Cruz. We'll be back on Saturday. We'll see you. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.